0: Thank you for joining us for this special edition of The Sword and the Trowel. Uh, We are deviating from our normal format today in order to address the Southern Baptist Convention 2019 that just met in Birmingham, Alabama. So we're going to talk about some of the things that happened there. We're going to talk about the infamous Resolution 9 and about things that need to be done, what pastors need to do, how you can help us as Founders Ministries as we try to engage this issue. We are in a, a war with principalities and powers and heavenly places, we have got to stand firm. And we're doing our best as founders to try to help churches and pastors do this. You're gonna hear about a documentary that we hope to release, before the summer's over, we're producing it right now. We need your assistance on that too. So go to founders.org and look at how you can become a partner with us in this effort to stand against these worldly ideologies to maintain the purity, the simplicity of the gospel. That's It's priority in our lives as well. So join the fam. You can become a Founders Alliance member at different levels, and we would welcome your help. We need your help for this fight.
1: Welcome to the Sword in the Trowel a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I am Jared Longshore, and I'm Tom Askell. Thanks so much for listening to the Sword and the Trowel. We have a very special podcast today. That's right. Changing the format. We're changing the format because we just got back from the Southern Baptist Convention in Birmingham, Alabama, 2019, and the message is Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> or
0: Orlando, we have a problem.
1: Orlando, we have a problem. <laughs> We really do have a problem. Yeah, we really do we really have a problem,
0: Tom? We got a problem, man. How big is it? I fear the problem is bigger than any of us are willing to admit. Stop it. I can't. Stop I'm trying. It. I'm trying. You lie. It's hard to stop. You're a rabble rouser. I'm not a rabble You're rouser. you causing really problems. You don't think it's that bad? I do think it's pretty bad. I think it's getting worse. I think we're poised to uh, see some really, really bad things happen if we do not get in front of this mm. and address it.
1: It's time. I would say, Southern Baptist Brothers. It's time to ride or die. Ride or die. Ride or die. And that's what we're going to get into for the entirety of this podcast. We want to try to explain what we see as the main problem, probably main problem, central problem. And there's all kinds of dangers because things are under the surface right now. Right, They're not explicit, um, but we believe they exist. And we believe scriptures told us to watch out for worldly philosophies that will take us captive. We should identify them. And we know that people are going to say, oh, you know, you're just going after boogeymen here, but that's kind of part of the challenge of trying to expose what's going on. Here's one way I would characterize it. I do believe that our society is going in an increasingly godless direction. I don't think people will deny that. Right? We had a Bergerfell. We had. I mean, there's just no doubt that that's going on. And I think the SBC is so theologically malnourished, it really doesn't look good for the Southern Baptist Convention. It doesn't seem to me that they have enough theological strength to stand against what's coming, unless brothers do stand up and ride or die.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And and just like uh, an iceberg, you know, it's, it's not what you see in the iceberg that's right. going to kill your ship. It's what's underneath the surface that you don't see. Uh, but the fact that there is something above the surface should sound alarms and cause you to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we need to go deeper, look, look more carefully. And that's The job of pastors quite honestly Mm -hmm. we have the responsibility to shepherd the flock of god which involves not only uh, trying to provide good nourishment and sound teaching god's word guiding helping equipping discipling but also warning and looking out for dangers and protecting the flock from anything that might emerge from within or anything that might come from without to Mm -hmm. destroy the flock and Mm -hmm. jesus has warned us this is going to happen we have a devil Enemy who hates us, who wants to destroy the work of Christ in the world, and so we shouldn't be surprised when we discover his fingerprints all around. And right. the SBC is not immune to this.
1: Right, right, right. And so a lot of this came to head with Resolution Nine, this this resolution on intersectionality and critical race theory, and that's getting a lot of attention. And and we, let's let's address that first. What what we're not saying is that you know there's some there's some great corrupt well um organized attempt to indoctrinate the SBC in critical race theory. Although that, there might be. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> there might be
0: because that, there is a devil.
1: There is a devil. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not I'm saying the the ideology is there. There's a right. worldview embedded in critical race theory Absolutely. and intersectionality. And I am seeing echoes of that worldview. I'm seeing um patterns of that worldview in the way that people in the Southern Baptist Convention are thinking about particular issues. Right. And so I there This is where it all came to a head, and you were standing right on the front lines when all of this happened with the resolutions. So tell us about that.
0: Yeah, well, it's Wednesday, last day of the convention, and I'm at the founder's booth uh, working on some things, greeting people. And I get a text from Al Muller saying, hey, are you going to, are you prepared to uh, offer an amendment for resolution number nine on critical race theory? Well, I hadn't read it yet. It had been published in that Wednesday's bulletin. So I got the bulletin, I read through it, and I thought, oh, man, you know, this is this is going to be a train wreck. Mm. If this gets to the floor of the convention, as it is, it's going to be a, a real uh, difficulty. Yeah, you're people, texting
1: me, and you're like, hey, Al's Alice texted me, said,
0: oh, we want to respond to this amendment. Yeah, so, we, so. We, we need to get together on this. So you, I guess I texted you, you came over, brought some other guys. Yeah. And so we got together and read through the amendment and uh, started, or through the resolution, started figuring out how do we take this and make it something that would be useful for the convention. And man, I mean, we went through it with a fine tooth comb. We did it pretty quickly because all of us had responsibilities in the next 45 minutes or so. And what we came up with, I think, was a a pretty decent uh, resolution, but it had like 17 amendments (laughs) to it. You know, take these words out, put these words in, change this, add this. And there's no way on the floor of a convention like that, that that, type of intricate amendment is mm-hmm. going to pass. So yeah to wean it down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so uh, going back and forth, texting with Al some and, and talking to some other guys, came up with three additions to the resolution. Mm-hmm. One additional whereas, and then the second part of every re- resolution has resolved. And so two resolved, one whereas. Right. And that's what and we decided, hey, we'll offer this. And
1: in the, in the main concern in that amendment to the resolution was that the resolution itself did not identify critical race theory and intersectionality as ideologies right. contrary to Christianity? That's right. Contrary to Scripture. It didn't say that. It the, the resolution said that people might use critical race theory right. and intersectionality in bad, as, in bad ways. But it didn't identify the nature of the system, of, that, the, of the worldview that's there, nor did it identify the origins, the origins. of right. that yeah. worldview. Now, Curtis Woods, who's the chair of the Resolutions Committee, is a friend of mine. We've mm-hmm. talked about these
0: things. Yeah, he and I talked uh, about them through a connection with you right, a couple of months ago. Right, right. We talked and about critical race theory.
1: What's, what's concerning about the fact that your amendment didn't pass, uh, didn't get approved, is that the Southern Baptist now has talked about critical race theory theory and intersectionality and not identified these them as worldly ideologies, which right. Albert Moeller has clearly done. Neil Shinvey has clearly done. You have clearly done. We've been doing this through founders. That's that's what we want to do. I think, you know, k- chemo can be used as a tool, <laughs> right. um, but let's identify the nature of it that we don't misuse it right. as a tool. Uh, and then the talk about origins is fascinating. I was trying to speak to the, to the, to your motion. <laughs> I was there, I was wanting to do it, but given yeah. the way the parliamentary proceedings sh- shake down, it was somebody had to speak against it before I could speak. So I didn't get a chance. But I wanted to clearly say, hey, the origins of this thing, you know, someone said that we don't have enough time to get to that. We have enough time to get to that. Richard Delgado is a critical race theorist himself. I mean, he is one of the leading critical race theorists. And because of Jarvis Williams at Southern Seminary, he said, I want everybody to read this book. I got Mm -hmm. it. I read it. And I was shocked because right up front, he says, look, critical race theory is indebted to and built upon radical feminism the postmodernism of Derrida and the Marxism of Gramsci. Exactly. And so I'm saying this isn't a fallacy of origins because Delgado says we're built upon these things. Right. And so I really was shocked that we couldn't accept that amendment that you made yeah. trying to unify the convention. But boy, it was not received as a as a friendly amendment. No, so, I
0: offered his as a friendly amendment.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's hear you okay. do that. Let's uh, this is what you said on the floor of the convention.
0: But for the sake of our witness, I want to add strength to this resolution, make it clearer and more explicitly theological by offering what I hope will be taken as a friendly amendment. So after the first whereas, I would like to offer whereas critical race theory and intersectionality are godless ideologies that are indebted to radical feminism and postmodernism and neo-Marxism, And then add two resolves after the first resolved, resolved that we remind Southern Baptists that critical race theory and intersectionality emerged from a secular worldview and are rooted in ideologies that are incompatible with Christianity and be it further resolved that We repudiate all forms of identity politics and any ideology that establishes human identity in anything other than the divine creation in the image of God and for all redeemed humanity, our common identity together eternally united to Christ.
1: So that sounds like a pretty good amendment to me. It was very plain. You presented it as a friendly amendment. And then what happens is there's a second to the amendment, and then you have a chance to speak to it.
0: Right. And and again, it was simple. A lot more could be said if we were going to have an extended conversation. I would want to say a lot more than those three additions. Uh But uh, once that happened, I was given an opportunity to try to explain briefly why these amendments were pertinent. And this is what you said.
2: Is there a second to that amendment? All
0: right, you may speak to it. I just think it's important that we understand the origins of these two ideologies. They do come from godless Marxism, and we also ought to recognize the way that they are commonly used today, not by any members of our committee that has set forth this very carefully worded resolution, but we need to be aware of how these ideologies are being used in our culture, and there are attempts to insert these ideologies in the false way of seeing the world into evangelical life and churches. And so if we make it clear about their origins and reemphasize that we have our identity in Christ and Christ alone, I just think it strengthens this resolution. I hope it will be received as a friendly amendment.
1: Oh, man. Oh, it was so good. I was just thinking, yes, please, yeah. please let this this go well? It seems so, so clear, so good.
0: Yeah. I mean, and again, it was friendly. I sent it to them in advance. I emailed it to the committee. So they weren't hearing it for the first time from my lips at the microphone. So they had time to read over it, to think about it. And if I were trying to just, you know, pull a fast one, I wouldn't have done that. Um, again, this was all above board from my standpoint, and there were a lot of people that were in favor of it. I mean, goodness, this was a collective effort to yeah. try to get this amendment in the right way that could be acceptable. So my hope was that the committee would say, hey, we accept this as a friendly amendment, and we recommend that it just go ahead and be added in the convention vote, and we move forward, and this is done. Yep. That was my hope. But my Brother
1: Curtis, um, he responded
0: to you with these words—
2: I appreciate the the words and the sentiment of the messenger. Um, We will take this as an unfriendly amendment for this purpose. It is our aspiration in this resolution simply to say that critical race theory and intersectionality are simply analytical tools. They're meant to be used as tools, not as a worldview. Not not true. And we would also say that in light of the time um, we don't have an opportunity to talk about the origins or, and, as well as the implications of critical race theory. When you begin to think about worldviews and philosophical constructs, the Apostle Paul uh, appealed to the Epicurean sensualists. He appealed to the rationalists on Mars Hill, but that did not mean that Paul imbibed the views students. of the rationalists or the sensualist. When Apostle Paul quotes from Epimenides in Titus chapter 1, 12, it did not mean that Paul believed that Epimenides worldview was consistent. What we're saying is that this can be utilized simply as an analytical tool, not a transcendent worldview above the authority of scripture. And we stand by the strength of this resolution.
0: Yeah, that was disappointing. And uh, you, know, you could hear me speaking The mic They left my mic hot, I guess. Uh, it's not true. And, and my point in saying it's not true is that intersectionality and critical race theory are not simply analytical tools, which is mm-hmm. what Curtis said. Mm. I mean, you might use them and they might be classified as analytical tools, but they are not simply analytical tools. That is patently on its face not true. Yeah. And now Curtis said that it was the aspiration of the committee to say that critical race theory and intersectionality are simply analytical tools. Well, congratulations. The committee did that. I mean, that, they were successful in their aspirations. Those were met. But in doing so, I believe what has happened is the convention has been misled mm. because these are not simply analytical tools. It would be like me saying, you know, hey, evolution is simply an analytical tool and we ought to use it in a way that is consistent with Mm -hmm. the Bible and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could do that, but if you, if that's all you say, you're, you're saying technically true things, but you're misleading by the way you say those true things. Yeah.
1: Well, I talked to Al Mohler right after this thing passed, our our amendment was declined and then the vote passed, talked to him there on the floor of the convention. And he said what he said in the briefing the day after he said, look, this is not true. They're, they're, there's They're more than just analytical tools, right? there's a, there's an ideology. there's a framework. There's a way of viewing the world uh, that's there. And it seems to me that that is at least the conversation. Not not every Southern Baptist is going to have that, but that's the conversation that leaders need to have absolutely because it sounds like we we can't hesitate between two positions. is this is this worldview contrary to Christ, the way that Neil Shinvey and you mm. and Albert Moeller have clearly said, uh, or is it not right this is what the, the nature of the thing so we yeah. need to identify it's not that there's not true things in exactly there. uh, yes there's true things even embedded in in the worldview there Absolutely. can be true things but we have to acknowledge that th- this is a system and, and again for people that are studying this the way that critical theory arose out of critical legal studies and out of critical theory itself Max Horkheimer the Frankfurt school this is there's a there's a line here that those who have opened up the books and considered it can can follow that line and right. can see where, where things have come from. You
0: know, uh, I wrote an article just a couple of days ago on this. You can find that at founders.org. And also, we addressed this issue and other issues in our recent conference in Louisville. So you can get on uh, the Founders site or YouTube, the Founders Ministries channel there, and you can hear talks that address this as well. Yeah.
1: Well, Daryl B. Harrison, uh, Harrison wrote something that... Um, that caught my attention. There was this talk about the resolution, and, and he tweeted, by the time those messengers got around to voting on Resolution 9, they'd already heard so much wokeness during the week that they probably felt compelled to vote for it out of fear of being labeled racist or worse, because you can't spell racist without C-R-T. <laughs> and, yeah. um, so th- the concern there is that Harrison's saying, this isn't, this isn't a separated thing. So what happened with Resolution Nine is not like one thing that happened at the convention, um, completely apart from all of the other things that happened at the convention. He's saying no, this there was there was this worldview. He calls right. it wokeness, but I, I think he's saying there, there's a worldview going on here that that he saw at least he saw appearing throughout the the convention in different ways in different forms we had our brother chocolate knox from cross politic with us and I, he mm-hmm. replied to daryl saying oh yeah man i was almost lulled into sleep <laughs> like it was done really well yeah and good look i mean i'm all for like doing things well making sure your panels are sleek making sure your convention runs smooth but you did get that sense you're like oh my goodness there it is popping up again there it is popping up again but nobody's able to say "Whoa, whoa, whoa wait here let's 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 ask a question back to what was just said because right. it seems like something's off there at the root. So, uh, we want to try to get into that a little bit. When we come back, we're going to talk about the things that we saw that concern us that seem to, in, in some ways, uh, be patterned after this ideology that we're concerned about. Very good.
0: Founders Ministries has been able to do what we've been doing for 35 years because people have joined with us and become part of our family. Today I'm inviting you to become a part of the Founders fam as well. Become a Founders Alliance member. You can do this at different levels as you contribute to the work that Founders is engaged in. By going to founders.org, you can see that you can give at the trowel level, you can give at the shield level, or you can give at the sword level. And if you give at any level, we're going to send you a Founders package of materials We have other exclusive material that we would make available to you as well as you contribute to help us build this ministry for the glory of God.
1: Welcome back to The Sword and the Trowel. Um, We have been talking about the Southern Baptist Convention. We got started by talking about this Resolution number 9 and some concerns that we have coming back from the Southern Baptist Convention. We are concerned that there is theological malnutrition in the Southern Baptist Convention. We are concerned that there is uh, worldly ideology growing in yeah. our day and seems to be uh, influencing the Southern Baptist uh, at least to some degree. much of it is at the presuppositional level or it's in you know egg form that but that egg is cracking and we're concerned. And so we're trying to identify that and point that out. How would you Tom summarize generally what when you got done with the Southern Baptist Convention what were you concerned about? like what is the big concern? Having seen the panels that you did, heard the talks that you did, walked through Mm -hmm.
0: it. Yeah, well, the the theme of the SBC this year was the gospel above all. And that's great. And what God's done for us in Christ is uh, above everything else in Uh terms of what we believe, how we live. It's the most uh, significant reality in the world. Changes everything. So we all know that. We all believe that. And to to hear that as a theme, I'm thinking, praise God, the gospel above all. But then we have all these panels on, okay, what are secondary matters uh, for Southern Baptists to not get all exercised about? Mm. What's primary? What are uh, the relationship of churches to uh, sexual abuse? And what are the relationship between men and women? What can women do? All of these different things are discussed, which are right and, and proper. We should discuss them. But in the discussions... There was a recurring omission. You know what was missing in those conversations? What's that? The gospel. Mm. I mean, I think it was assumed. I think it was assumed. And so we weren't really given much help to think about, here's what the gospel is, and here's how the gospel applies to Mm. men and women's issues, to the sexual abuse issue, to uh, how churches are to function with other churches in association. Mm. And again, I don't think anybody's denying the gospel, but it's the same thing that we've been harping on for a long time here at Founders, that the gospel seems to be assumed. And when you assume the gospel, you're just a step away from losing it.
1: Yeah. it, it um, and, and it seems that that kind of thing creeps in, Slowly, I was surprised. Mark Dever was listening to J.D. Greer's sermon there, and mm-hmm. something struck him as concerning enough that Mark uh, tweeted out this. I recently heard someone say, "The core of the gospel is God's commitment to protect the vulnerable." Yeah. What do you think? And he's he's quoting from Greer,
0: the, the presidential sermon.
1: Yeah, and and so. Uh, Again, I, I don't know w- what Mark would say here, but it sounds like something struck them enough. Goes this right? Is yeah. this is it? Is it God's commitment to protect the vulnerable, or is it that they're God saves sinners who are undeserving, unworthy? You know, there's it yeah. just seems like there's a grid there that's coming about. Because, and the problem is there really are vulnerable
0: Absolutely. people that
1: we want to love and that we want to care for. And that's a th- that's a theme we see going through Scripture. But it seems like some of these this worldly way of thinking is kind of working its way in.
0: Yeah, and it's not that J.D. De- denies the gospel. He, he was right. very clear about the essence of the gospel in that same sermon. But whenever you then take a turn and make that statement... You're not applying the gospel. You're actually saying something different than what you've just previously said about what the gospel is.
1: Yeah, something similar to that came up uh, in in one of the panels that uh, about Jesus using his privilege. So it was in the context of kind of talking yeah. about this, and then and then he d- in the language is well, he did this for people that couldn't have a relationship with God. Well, the problem is like the reason you couldn't have a relationship with God is because you rebelled against <laughs> God. You're, you're depraved. This like, is what pl- was said in this. that in that panel.
2: I think Jesus used his privilege for the purpose of bringing people who had no ability to have to relate to God to bring them up so that they we can have relationship. And I think this is what James is saying. He says to those who are privileged, you think that you need to think more lowly of yourself. To those who are disenfranchised, the marginalized, you need to think more highly because at the foot of the cross, we are all peers. Yeah, I mean, so wow. there's
1: there's two main parts there. Let's start, first deal with the Jesus using his privilege to help other people who who couldn't have a relationship with God. What do you think about that? Yeah, part? well,
0: this is an indication. I mean, this fits. I'm not accusing this brother of uh, trying intentionally to promote um, a godless ideology. Okay, I'm not accusing him of that. But he is using language that comes out of godless ideologies in order to explain the incarnation and atonement.
1: White privilege, yep. invisible knapsack. Yep, there it is. She's a feminist. She's very clearly.
0: Uh, the, the oppressed, those who are marginalized. Right. You know, all I can't of remember this. her
1: name. McIntosh, right? What's that? Peggy that? McIntosh. Is that her name?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. Developed
1: white, white privilege and the invisible
0: knapsack. Right, right, right. Anyways. Yeah. The, the, um, so he's using these categories in order to assess the incarnation and atonement. Right and man you just you, you, you it's you can't do that i mean you can't do that oh jesus used his privilege jesus used his privilege jesus is god oh. jesus became man he humbled himself and to utilize those analytical lenses that come from critical theory critical mm-hmm. race theory intersectionality in order to explain that uh you you are on thin ice very quickly, and you've probably already fallen through by the time you get the words out of your mouth.
1: Yeah, and we agree with Philippians too. Absolutely. That, you know, Jesus did not use equality with God as a thing to be used to his own advantage, things to be grasped, but humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of a cross. So he was high and he was made low uh, that we might be raised up from death. But the concern is that it's embedded in this deal like, well, you know, they were the vulnerable, would kind of tie back to JD's statement. They were the mm-hmm. vulnerable. Well, no, we weren't. We weren't vulnerable.
0: <laughs> we were rebels. We were rebels <laughs> against
1: <laughs> yeah. God, and yeah, we, were we blinded? You know, absolutely, we were blinded. But we were blinded because of our sin, because of right. what we were done. Uh, we we were not victims. Nobody
0: was oppressing we us. Keeping not, us from God.
1: We were not victims. That's right. We we were those who were given everything and and rebelled against and, God. And I
0: think I think Jared, this this is a good example, uh, one among many that happened last week at the convention. Of displaying the kind of concerns that we have, people are thinking this way, importing their thinking into the scripture, laying it over scripture, then using scriptural language, in order to say, "See there!" And man, you you just you're not going to get the uh, the engine of critical theory without getting the whole train unless you are consciously just chopping it off, chopping it off, chopping it off.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if he was referencing James, somebody on the panel, or if he was reading James the Bible, but he said, it, this is the other thing. He said, yeah. if you're privileged, um, you know, then you, I think he said you need to think less of yourself. If you're disenfranchised, you need to think
0: more or highly of, of yourself. Highly. What, Maybe James 5, I was trying to think about it too, you know, where the rich are warned about trusting in their riches, and they need to weep and wail well because they live their lives trusting their riches, and there's a day of judgment coming. Uh, and they did oppress those uh, who they took advantage of i mean james clearly teaches that but i don't think you take from that passage the idea that hey if you've been marginalized think more highly of yourself
1: yeah no but the, and this, this is a panel on race and so the whole conversation was about majority groups and minority groups. Yeah. And my my concern is there. Well, if you lay if you lay over privileged and disenfranchised, I have no problem with acknowledging the history of Absolutely. racism in our land Absolutely. and the in the residue, the fruits of that great of slavery and then Jim Crow and and it wasn't nearly as long ago as people want to claim. So I'm, I'm all for that. There's still. There's still dynamics in our society that are birthed right out of that, mm-hmm. and and do concern the privileged and the disenfranchised. But, but my concern is that that does. What if you're disenfranchised and you're in absolute rebellion against God?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like,
1: do you does that think person should that person think more highly of himself? So what if you're? So it's like, what's the frame? What's the category? So What right. if you're a privileged person and but you you love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? It, it seems to be there's other categories, which is related to the critical theory framework. absolutely.
0: And, and I, again, I don't doubt if we had this brother with us right now and asking questions that he would line up with us. I would I, assume that. Absolutely. Assume we've that.
1: got to make this yeah. so
0: clear. So but, it's, it's not that, hey, you know, we, we see this guy and he's trying to intentionally sneak this in. No, I just think we have assumed, oh, we got the gospel. We believe the Bible. We're inerrantists. And they're using this, these categories, these ways of thinking unwittingly. The the end result will be to undermine the very Bible that you say you believe right. if you're not careful and that's where I think God's just laying it upon us to say, man, we got to stop and look at these things and call foul and back up and reexamine.
1: Yeah, they, they did a, a woman uh, women women's partner indispensable partners women's in ministry mm-hmm. panel as well and they had a number of different people up there and it, it was it was the same kind of thing. There there were good things said in there, right? But the concern was like everything's going in one direction so it was like well if well, we're partners in ministry and and what that means is we need more leadership opportunities right. we have to open up leadership opportunities and if you have a position opening up you know consider a woman for that that deal and then make the appropriate qualifications we're, we're still want to make sure the person that's most qualified for the position gets it right. well yes and amen but it's it's the grid it's like where' Where is the created order in that kind of conversation? Like there was uh, somebody has pointed out that there was nothing about motherhood.
0: No, didn't mention motherhood as a high calling. Absolutely nothing
1: about motherhood. And and I want to say, I mean, let, I'm concerned about my wife and my daughters and the women in our church that are being played on this thing. You are thinking, well, if you're an, you're not an indispensable partner because you're not moving up to the highest echelons. People have said that. I'm not saying they said that on the panel. It's very true. It's the same kind of direction. It's like, What women have children? They 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 birth babies. I mean, this is this is this is still the way that God works in the world. We raise up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We teach them and. it seemed like this whole framework of, well, we really need to empower women. You know, I've cited Kevin DeYoung's excellent uh, talk on the beauty of broad complementarianism and really getting down to these distinctions in the created order. Owen Strains talked about this as well. It seems that that's just gone. Right. It it doesn't seem to be operating at all in this conversation. And I think
0: what would happen if we were to ask, oh, of course, course. what are you doing? You're assuming it. Well, you assume it, you lose it. And it does demonstrate what appears to be the a uh, uh, fact that we're being trained more, we're being shaped more in our thinking and outlook by something other than the Bible. Because if we wanted to take the Bible and ask the question, okay, what does the Bible say about women? What does the Bible say about the the gifts and responsibilities, privileges, opportunities for women? You're not going to have that conversation and omit motherhood. Mm. You're just not. Mm. And oh. motherhood's going to be high in that conversation, and it was completely left out of yeah. the panel. Again, don't misunderstand us. I mean, you're not saying, I'm not saying that all these people think motherhood's wicked or bad or nope. you know, incidental. They're not. We're just,
1: there are definitely two different tunes being Absolutely.
0: Sung. We're marching to t- the beat of two different drummers.
1: And we're, look, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I'm not saying you're denying the deity of Christ. <clears throat> I'm not saying this, that kind of things. So this is this is going to be a, another thing woven in. And we, we'll get to it in a minute. But this kind of that added to these concerns that we have is, uh, you know that's secondary. That's tertiary. Don't right. bring that up, brother. Like yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. We've got unity, and we can't talk about these things outside the Baptist faith and message. That that's a whole other thing. We've got to talk about these things. Absolutely. Somebody's got to say, "What? Well, what? Well, well, hold up, yeah. hold up. We just had a panel on women ministry, women being helpers, and I, maybe there was talk about wives helping their husbands. I don't remember that being a strong theme. I don't remember yeah. it being strong about your it helpers suitable. Yeah. Here, here's what you do. So much of it was in the direction of well. You know, um, hey, I incorporate women into the sermon preparation process, and we look yeah. for opportunities to raise women up, and we look through our openings in the church and think where where um, you know where these things should should be. There was talk about um, women in the in different conventional leadership positions, and right. while I, I was grateful that one of the ladies on there, and one of the best things that were said was like, no, it, it wouldn't be wouldn't be appropriate or right to have a woman be uh, SBC president. But I did go on to say, you know, basically everything else is is mm-hmm. is open. Well, I do think, there again, we're missing something about the created order, right? This is Kevin DeYoung. He talks about the posture of, of men as leadership and the pro, uh, posture of women is helper. And that has implications for the way that we think about even denominational positions. Mm-hmm. Um, it was asked on another panel, um, how do you feel that all the entity heads of the Southern Baptist Convention are all white men? And yeah. again, you ask these questions. you
0: like, <laughs> "Where's the question ah, come from?" It's
1: like, I mean, "What's going on underneath of this right. kind of thing?" Um, Isaiah talks about the what happens when children and women mm-hmm. rule, and people don't want to just say that text. Well, it's there. It has implications. Um, you know, the the implications of woman um, was not. Man was not made for a woman, but woman for man. These aren't mean things, but if you bring them up in this context, it's like, oh, no. I mean, how could you not have a woman be the president of the IMB? It's like, yeah. well, I don't think that would be the best thing. Yeah. I really don't. And and my my read is there's there's something else. There's other glasses that many in the Southern Baptist, especially leaders, are wearing that they're not. They're not reading it the same way um, that yeah, I
0: am. Yeah. And uh, folks would say, well, I would hate to be a woman that you approve of. I'd be scared That's been to be sad. a woman that That's been you sad. approve of. Uh,
1: Beth Moore said that in response to Owen's article, which I thought Owen was gracious in that piece. Yeah. Um, you know, you and Al Mohler and Owen have been accused of bullying Beth Moore, mm-hmm. um, but we tried to deal with that. You find it at founders.org. A lot of this is related to our manhood conference. So, founders yeah. held, a, held, a, held a full day of mature manhood. And um, It wasn't enough. It,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Need a week, maybe a year, maybe a decade. Owen,
1: <laughs> Owen oh my goodness, Owen Strain uh, talked about doing. <laughs> he served us. Grand so slam. Well. He served us so well. Grand and, slam. And he wrote that he's. He wrote on Twitter that he's going to address the um the the theme of uh, what was it? Warrior King. Warrior, yeah. yeah, I'm going to address the Warrior King the motif theme. in the, the motif the scripture. of Warrior King. This is like classic biblical theology. This is nothing. This is like PhD seminar, warrior king. Jesus comes across the head of the serpent. You know, I came to bring not peace but a sword. And, yeah, and,
0: but that's so triggering.
1: But, and then at the end of the book of Revelation, sword coming out of his mouth, blood in the
0: streets. Yeah. But, Jared, but no. Please, you have to bring that That's up.
1: just the Old Testament, man. I mean, he got raked over he the did. coals. Another he,
0: indication of where we are. He's
1: getting pressure from people.
0: Like, how could you do this? And I'm going, what in the world? Yeah, if we stay on this path, then we're going to have to do Thomas uh, Jefferson on the Bible. We're going to have to start cutting out sections of the Bible that we find offensive and triggering.
1: I think that's absolutely it. You know, We got some heat for for holding a Mature Manhood conference, uh, and people were saying, how in the world could you do this? You're changing the conversation. The conversation is supposed to be about sexual abuse. Yeah, yeah. I said... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what is a man who abuses a woman other than an immature man? Exactly. What is a man who covers up sexual abuse in the church other than an immature man? And I get it that that's happening. Let's stand up and say men do something about right. it, put an end to this. But even <laughs> even even in there, I heard some of the narrative like was like, you know, what we need right now is not men standing up and saying it's not going to happen here, and not men standing up and saying, you know, we're going to put an end to this, and not men standing up and say, hey, there should be strict civil punishments for this calling the civil magistrate to to make sure the the rules of biblical justice are followed and then make sure that the punishment is significant and squared with the crime and looking to scripture to consider that punishment it's funny that was like no not that what we need to do is to believe women
0: yeah sit down listen listen to women and and the the idea is oh man you're talking about masculinity that's our problem toxic masculinity our problem is not toxic masculinity our problem is a lack of biblical masculinity
1: absolutely and biblical masculinity does listen to women i've tried to clarify this as i was talking to people yes the world's saying we need to listen to women and and you know what they got that right and that's been said and that's right so we need to listen to women more there are there are wicked men who are going to disregard and they're not going to call the police when they see the difference between sins and crimes. Mm-hmm. All of that needs to be addressed. But again, even under all of that issue, it's, it's fascinating to me the way that it's being shaped, yeah. you know, the way that it's being fashioned.
0: Yeah. We also, uh, Dwight McKissick and I had a debate on women preaching on the Lord's day to the mixed congregation of God's people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was done in a very kind, charitable way. You know, Dwight and I were able to I think, uh, maintain a proper respect and esteem for one another and set forth in pretty stark contrast mm-hmm. the two different views on that. So that'll all be coming out later on the uh, video will be available. Right.
1: Um Russell Moore was asked a direct question about that topic. He in the past <laughs> he's held he's held to women, uh I believe he went on record saying it would be sin for women to preach or something yeah, like that. We, in, he in he a said it, panel. For
0: for he said for a woman to uh Claim that she was preaching or teaching to a congregation on the, on the Lord's day or mixed congregation in a church under the approval of her elders would be like saying, Hey, I'm going to commit adultery, but my old elders approve of it. Right. He's been
1: crystal clear on this. That was
0: back in 2003 or six 2006 or seven, or something like yeah. that.
1: At the same time, he wrote an article in the journal of evangelical theological society. Yeah, so if you're writing in, in the journal of the evangelical theological society, you know, this is PhD level stuff. It's a talk he gave at, Yeah. At, uh, ETS. It's not the kind of stuff you do when you're a first-year MDiv student. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, if yeah, yeah. You have developed ideas on clear this. thoughts. And he was very clear that patriarchy is good for Biblical women. Biblical patriarchy. And it's good for children. Yes, Christian right. patriarchy. He's not talking about the misogynistic right. stuff that's out there. Uh, he was crystal clear about um, this kind of soft-bellied complementarianism that's a big problem and a more patriarchal complementarianism mm-hmm. is going to be good. and People right. are hungering for this and Right. Well, one of the guys at the convention asked him a very direct question. Um, He just said, you know, have you changed your position on women preaching? And uh, this is how Dr. Moore responded.
3: What I would say to you is this. I have very strong convictions about biblical complementarity, that God has uh, gifted both men and women for service within the church and that God has distinctively given callings to men and to women in some specific ways. <laughs> the
1: question was, no, the question was, do you think women should preach or not? That was the question. I have no problem with a man that stands up there and says, "Hey, you know what? I
0: changed my changed mind. My mind. Yeah. I changed my mind, man. Yeah, I've I've come to a different conclusion. That's okay.
1: Amen. You know where that guy's going to lead you. Right. You know where he's going.
0: But this kind of answer
3: is indicative of some of the real problems we have in the SBC. Absolutely. Here's what he continues to say. Our Baptist Faith and Message confessional document is very clear in terms of our parameters of understanding complementarity there. We have issues on which we all agree and issues that we need to agree completely in order to cooperate and to have a, a mission together. There are lots of other issues where we have a common agreement, but we have different ways of applying that at the secondary or at the tertiary level. I think that the New Testament pattern is to have the Lord's Supper weekly. I'm not only happy to cooperate with churches that have the Lord's Supper monthly or quarterly or at other times, I don't even go to a church that has the Lord's Supper weekly, and I'm happy to be there. We can have some different applications sometimes about what our biblical complementarity looks like in some ways, but we are united around the fact that, as our Baptist faith and message says, the office of pastor is limited to men.
0: But have you
1: changed this, your mind? Now no, so you got to understand. This is like high level, smooth obscuration. This is <laughs> this is this is high level <laughs> stuff, man. And I mean, again, the the question was the problem is none of this plays like when you're just in the church. I mean, when you just you're just hey, man, did you change your mind on this? You could say I changed my mind. I think women can preach. You say, I still think that women shouldn't preach, but maybe I shouldn't have been so harsh. Yeah, back then. yeah, you say, you know what? I'm confused. I'm in the middle, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm 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 in movement. I don't know. but this is nothing. Start talking about the Lord's Supper. How many times you take the Lord's Supper? Yeah. I, I'll work with
0: it's th- disappointing.
1: It's extremely disappointing. And the problem is I have no idea like I don't know who this man is. I yeah. don't. I don't uh-huh. he's the leader of the ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And I, I love him as a brother. I don't. I don't I'm not saying anything there. Uh, I just don't sharp. know. I don't know what. What. What are you <clears throat> going to do next? And you're not going to tell us what you do next if right. we ask you another direct question.
0: Well, yeah. When when Russ was uh, elected to this position as the head of the ERLC, I told him, man, I think God built you for this. You know, he's a clear thinker. He understands political processes, and I really thought this is going to be great. But the way he now the last two SBcs. Has treated messengers from churches that have asked simple questions mm. is uh, very concerning. I'm thinking this is Southern Baptist churches support, we finance the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. We pay mm. the salaries of Russ Moore and his staff. We deserve to be treated better.
1: Mm. That's not all he said. He said more. He goes on.
3: What I would say to you at this point, and what I would probably say to myself in 2007. A lot of things I would like to say to myself in 2007, <laughs> is to say that complementarianism requires complementarity. And that means that we need both men and women serving in every biblically appropriate way. As a social conservative, I believe that children need both a mother and a father. There are two ways that you can destroy that. One of those ways is to say, it doesn't matter whether this is a mother or a father, all you need is a parent. The other way is to say, all you need is a mother, or all you need is a father. We need both fathers, and mothers within the Church of Jesus Christ, and we live in a denomination where we have firm convictions on biblical complementarity, but we are the denomination that was sending out Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong before women could vote in the United States of America. We, You
1: know, we, I agree we need fathers and mothers, too. Where was all that talk about motherhood and the panel on women as helpers?
0: <laughs> you know, if the question that was asked of Do- Dr. Moore was a virus, the answers that Dr. Moore gave would be in no danger of catching it. <laughs> oh, goodness.
1: He, here's Here's probably the most direct thing he said.
3: The idea that we are listening too much to women in the Southern Baptist Convention is not an idea that makes very much sense to me right now. Instead, I would say let's be complementarian and let's try some true complementarianism, which means empowering men and women to serve under faithfulness to the inerrant Word of Jesus Christ.
0: But have you changed your mind?
3: (laughs)
1: So now is not the time. The 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 idea that we've been listening to women too much in the Southern Baptist Convention. No, no, no. That's not that's not uh, the case. So, there you go, boy. He's you know the problem is he's he's modeling, and and how is this related to everything else? How is this related to our concerns? Um, If you're going to stand against the way the world's going right now, you're going to take some bullets. Absolutely. You're going to have to have courage. You're going to have to be clear, and the problem is right now clarity is being mocked and ridiculed as being bombastic. Yeah, yeah.
0: Clarity so, is a liability for the folks that are thinking the way that we've just seen.
1: And this is not just the Doctor Moore problem. I mean, he he embodies it there, and I think it's unacceptable. I do. And I think too. it has to be dealt with, but that works its way down, and so and then the case is well, anything that's outside of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, I'm not going to. You know, I'm not going to talk about. And it's very clear the Bebe's Faith and Message line is drawn at pastor. Mm-hmm. It is not drawn at women preaching. And I don't, I, you know, this struck me. I, I know of one man, I know two men. You and Dr. Al Mohler are the two men that said, I don't think women should preach. There might have been another one that I mm-hmm. didn't hear. But mm-hmm. the majority of the panels I heard when this question came up, and it came up a, a lot, was... You know, I, I am. I think the office of elder is reserved only for men. I, res- I believe the office of elder is reserved only for men. And that is a question, that, that is a point that's not in contention at all right, right. now. Right, that's right. And I'm just wondering, why, why are men only saying that? Why aren't we saying more? There was no talk about broad complementarianism, the beauty of it. There was no Kevin DeYoung explanation of that. There was no created order conversation. Yeah. It happened at the Founders' Manhood event. Right. It's not happening anywhere else. And I think... Okay, so yeah, Dr. Moore just really, it just absolutely illustrates what's going on. But I'm concerned that that kind of way of operating is deeply embedded in in the Southern Baptist Convention and the way that we function, which means we're just going to be I think we're just going to be played, played, played down the road if it yeah. doesn't change.
0: Yeah, the, We have to decide whether or not we're willing to be ridiculed and scorned by the world for the sake of Christ. And we've talked about this a lot uh, on The Sword and the Trial, written about it. It's in our conversations. I put it like this. The most important and controversial verse in all the Bible is Genesis one one. Mm. God created this world. This is His show. And so we are under obligation to start with that, to recognize that, and then to try to understand what rules has he established for his world, for his church, for his image bearers, and how do we best line up with those rules, recognizing that what he has given to us is not only right, it's good. It will be good for us. That's right. And that, uh, to say that today is oppressive language you're yep. a misogynist you're a racist you're a bigot you're a homophobe if you just stand up and say hey look this is god's world let's live on the basis of what god has said
1: yeah here's my solutions i'd start with rejoice number one rejoice because um, <clears throat> god is on the throne jesus is king there's some really sketchy stuff going on and you're going to get all kinds of heat for even listening to this and sharing this and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, but rejoice in it and join us in rejoicing. Yeah, like we, it, absolutely. It's, time, it's time to actually engage and do so with joy. Number two, read your Bible. <laughs> Number three, pray. Number four, study the law of God, because we're getting duped on it left and right. We have a new book. Law and Gospel or any re-singer. It's right here. Get it. Read it. Study the law of God. Number five, consider again the relationship between the church and the world. Mm. Identify that. Is the church influencing the world? Is the church taking its marching orders from Christ and preaching a gospel and preaching truth to the world? Or, Or are we kind of taking the world's principles, warming them over with Scripture? Number five or six, I don't know what it is, take courage. Be clear and be honest. If you're asked a question that is going to somehow put you in a bad position, just tell the truth. Yeah. Just take courage to do that and be humble. Be humble about it. We're, you're going to be accused of all kinds of stuff. Let's stay humble. Pray for our brothers and sisters there. There's my little, there's my yeah. solutions. What are
0: yours? Well, I just kind of fill yours out because it's, I would say the same thing, but you got to study. You got to study. Try to understand the, the scriptures. What does the Bible say? And again, start with Genesis 1-1. Don't assume you understand Genesis 1-1. Start with Genesis 1 and read and and contemplate what it means to be a creature made in the image of the only creator this world has. Mm. Study the gospel. What does it mean that this creator against whom you have rebelled and you have offended has in mercy and love and grace given up his only son in Mm. order to redeem you to himself? Get that clearly inside of your thinking so that as you begin to then try to understand what's going on in the world, that you're doing so from a perspective of one who's been created by the Creator in the image of the Creator, redeemed by the Son of the Creator, and now in right standing with Him, and Mm. you have all of eternity in front of you reconciled to God. So you have every reason to be full of joy, Mm. hope, confidence. We're not fighting this battle with a sense of doom and gloom. Oh, no. Listen, the SBC can be uh, wrapped up and thrown onto the ash heap of human history and the kingdom of God will not miss a beat. Mm -hmm. And we need to know that. Now, is the SBC worth fighting for? Yeah, I think it is. Yep. And We need to keep it in perspective, but it's worth fighting for. So I would say to my fellow pastors, particularly brothers, we cannot afford to be uninformed anymore. Mm -hmm. We have to learn. We have to say, okay, I need to go to school on this. Founders has been producing lots of material. at Founders.org, you can get articles on all of these issues that we've touched on today. Uh, Neil Shinvey, in his apologetics website, has done really good work at reading the highest level academic arguments for things like critical theory, intersectionality, mm-hmm. explaining them, issuing warnings against them, showing how they're seeping into evangelical life. Uh, listen, learn, get educated, and then decide, okay. Uh, how do I protect my church? How do I shepherd my flock through this? Because that's our primary responsibility. It doesn't matter primarily what happens out there in other uh, connections or associations of churches. What happened, What What is primary for me as a pastor is what happens in the congregation that Christ has placed me in to mm-hmm. shepherd. So that's primary. But then we do have to ask the question, what about the association of churches in the SBC? Right. You know, Not every church is going to be like ours. And that's fine. You know, we've, We understand that. We're not looking for every church to be exactly like ours, you know, or, or else we're not going to cooperate with you. But there are some boundaries. And if we're going to say, well, the boundaries are only the uh, Baptist faith and message, and uh, we shouldn't say anything about anything else outside of that, then we're going to have some pretty boring conversations. We're not going to sharpen one another as we ought to sharpen one another. So if what we are saying and our assessment is accurate, Mm -hmm. that we are being infiltrated within the SBC by ideologies that are godless, not that anybody in particular is intentionally doing it, but it's happening because the devil's doing it. If that's accurate, then brothers, we're going to have to stand up and say, okay. Ride uh, or die. Ride or
1: die. SBC. We have a problem. We
0: do have a problem. Founders Ministry is going to fight. We're going to fight, and we've got a project underway that we think is going to be incredibly helpful. It's going to be huge. It is significant. It needs help. It's a documentary. A documentary on what is going on. And we're putting it together. We want to make it available for free to every Southern Baptist pastor, but somebody got to pay for it. Somebody got to pay for it. (laughs) Fam, fam, we need some fam. Help us if you want more information on this. Contact us. We'll tell you. God willing, we're going to have some information uh, getting
3: out over the next couple weeks.